0: Let me ask you please to open your Bibles first to Matthew chapter 1 and then we will read the Luke chapter 1 passage as today we are looking at the virginal conception of Jesus and in the message I will explain why I'm using the term virginal conception rather than virgin birth because I think it's a little more specific and a lot more accurate. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, hear now the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now flip over, please, to the gospel according to Luke. And again, reading from chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Let us pray. Father, we do pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight O lord our strength and our redeemer and so we pray that the holy spirit would now give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the churches and we pray this in jesus name amen one of the things that strikes us right away about the virginal conception of Jesus is the supernatural power evident in it. In both accounts of the birth, the conception is brought about by the Holy Spirit. There is no participation of a human father. No man was involved at all in the virgin birth. But have you ever stopped for just one second and considered the far fetched claims of Christianity at Christmas time? During this particular holiday, Christians all over the world, millions and millions of them, paused to contemplate a first century Middle Eastern infant mothered by a teenage girl who had never been with a man, born dirt poor from a small, obscure hick town called Nazareth. The little boy, this underdog, whose life allegedly surrounded by miracles such as a virgin birth, unexplainable healings, and resurrections, Christians say is the answer to all the world's problems. The hope of the universe rests on the belief of this seemingly far-fetched tale. But it's actually true. Come on, really? Yes, it is truth. And so today what I want us to focus our attention on is the virginal conception of Jesus and to talk about it in a number of different ways. We will cover it from a number of angles. But first, let me get into the idea of the virginal conception of Jesus. We're immediately confronted by the uniqueness of Jesus' conception. And this appears to set him apart from the rest of us. It has also faced critical attacks on the assumption that the records we have before us in the Gospels are mythological and reflect similar stories in other religions. We will ask exactly what is entailed within the parameters of what is revealed. Most skeptical assaults assume something different from the reality. It was extremely popular in the last century When modernism held its reign and its sway over our culture, and where the enlightenment categories of understanding things came into preeminence, that everyone began to doubt the reality of the supernatural. That is... If we can't see it, if we can't codify it, if we can't qualitatively anal- uh, do analysis on it, if we can't count it, if we can't line it up, if we can't understand it, it isn't real. It belongs to fairy tale land. So if I can't understand it, I can't see it. And even modern categories ruled out anything from transcendence. Everything was seen from below here on earth and it totally had a closed door to any transcendence that which is beyond and above us what philosophers call the metaphysical of having any ability to penetrate this wall between what is called the noumena or the spiritual and the phenomenal that which we can see. Well, something has changed in the last 30, 40 years. We've now entered into a phase called postmodern culture. And postmodern culture laughs at the scientists and their skepticism. Because postmoderns come along and say, you're looking at the data and it's skewed by your own presuppositions. You close the door to any possible supernatural intervention and then reason from there. But what if the supernatural is real? What if God can penetrate space and time and come and speak and do and act? Isn't it amazing that the life of Jesus has the bookends on the one hand, the virginal conception, on the other hand, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That is the uniqueness of the Son. And so these assaults rage on. And the Bible here tells us that with God, all things are possible. Um, there was a man who wrote a book named J. Gresham Machen, and he wrote it uh, refuting liberalism in Christianity. And he wrote a book called The Virgin Birth. And that book, in which he carefully lays out the, the teaching and all of his research on the virgin birth, has never been satisfactorily refuted by anyone. Ever. And so the virgin birth is something that comes to us, but a lot of people say, well, you know, all religions have this kind of thing about uh, the virgin birth. Um, um, we, we see these tales all throughout history. Uh, the virgin birth is, is fairly a typical bit of pagan mythologizing, they may say, Star Wars has a virgin birth. Mithraism has had a virgin birth. Christianity has a virgin birth. Big deal, so what? These are just fables. This is a popular argument that might sound plausible from some of your friends in the beginning, but there are tons of problems with all of them. The assumption that there was a prototypical God-man who had certain titles, did certain miracles, was born of a virgin, saved his people, and got resurrected is not well-finded found it. In fact, no such prototypical hero ever existed before the rise of Christianity. It would have been unthinkable for a Jewish sect, which Christianity was initially, to try to win new converts by adding pagan elements to their gospel story. I suppose a good Jew might make up a story to fit the Old Testament, but to mix in bits of paganism would have been anathema to most serious Jews. The virgin birth parallels are not as strong as we might think. Consider some of the usual suspects. Alexander the Great, his most reliable ancient biographer, several centuries after his death, makes no mention of a virgin birth. Besides, the story that began to circulate after the rise of Christianity is worth mentioning. It is about an unusual conception, but not a virgin birth. Alexander's parents were already married. Dionysus like so many of the pagan parallels he was born when a god in this case Zeus disguised himself as a human and impregnated a human princess this is not a virgin birth and not like the Holy Spirit's role at all that we read about in the Gospels and then Mithra Uh, he's a popular parallel he was born of a rock not a virgin moreover the cult of mithra in the roman empire dates to after the time of christ so any dependence is mithraism on christianity not the other way around and buddha his mother dreamed that buddha entered her in the form of a white elephant but the story doesn't appear until five centuries after his death and she was already married so you get the drift There are a lot of people who want to relegate what the Gospels say to pagan mythology. But it is radically unique and radically different, and it is God's inerrant, infallible Word. And so we stand before it, ready to hear it. In Matthew's Gospel, his account is from Joseph's perspective. Joseph is considered Jesus' father since he accepted legal responsibility As his father. The narrative makes it incredibly clear that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. In the genealogy in Luke, Joseph is entered as the supposed father of Jesus. Since betrothal was legally binding, Joseph had every right to divorce Mary when he discovered that she was pregnant. Because he was a good man and determined not to, uh, to do this privately rather than shaming Mary in public, only after the information provided by the angel did Joseph relent. In Luke's gospel, it presents, presents the events from Mary's point of view and perspective in a much fuller way no wonder she was shocked and perturbed suddenly she had an unexpected visitor the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth his departure point was from God his destination was an obscure little village in northern Israel in which most people said nothing good could come out of Nazareth this was a conjunction of both the spiritual and the material heaven and earth this great spirit appeared to Mary in bodily form. He left the presence of God. He spoke to Mary in Hebrew. Mary was shaken. She was young. She was a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Some consider she was around 14 to 16 years old at this time. And although the usual period before the marriage was consummated had not yet occurred and not yet passed. And so the interesting thing about this passage, as we continue, is twice in verse 27, Luke records that Mary was a parthenos in the Greek, that is a virgin. And this was an obvious barrier to the promised child, just as Elizabeth's barrenness was a problem for the birth of John the Baptist. Both events resulted from the sovereign power of God. However, Joseph, and this is important, was of the house of David. Consequently, the family was in David's line, qualified, Jesus to inherit the promises given to David in 2nd Samuel chapter 7. Gabriel's first words from God were greetings. He said something like, hail, highly favored one, the Lord be with you. The Lord is with you. Mary, listen carefully, was the passive receiver of God's grace. Yahweh was with her there's not the slightest hint that Mary was a conduit of grace to anyone. Not at all. The participle is passive. If Mary represents anything, it is the faithful who receive the bountiful goodness of God. Gabriel's statement reassured her in the face of her agitation and declared that her status with God was secure. Mary was still confused, we see in verse 29, and terribly in need of further solace. There were good reasons for Mary to rejoice. She would conceive a son. His name would be called Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And that this child would be the deliverer and savior. And the connection and with the conception of John is highly significant. For he was to prepare the way for the savior. Mary knew about this. She and Elizabeth were cousins and she visited Elizabeth shortly after this event. The text tells us that Mary's child would be great. John was supposed to be great before the Lord, but his greatness would be surpassed by Jesus and all others. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The lack of the definite article in the Greek indicates the quality of the term demonstrating his uniqueness. The phrase most high is often used in the Old Testament to refer to God alone. In the background is Isaiah 9, 6-7, where the child born to deliver the covenant people is called the mighty God. Additionally, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Jesus would inherit the promises of the Davidic covenant. Contrary to the Davidic kings, most of whom failed miserably to follow Yahweh, Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Additionally in view may be the Son of Man in Daniel 7, who is given a universal and unending kingdom. The point Luke makes in chapter 1 verse 27 about Joseph becomes very clear, exceedingly clear. Since Joseph would become Jesus' legal father, not biological, but legal father, Jesus would, beyond dispute, be in the line of David, since in Israel legal paternity decided the matter. Jesus' opponents never questioned his Davidic claims, and his relatives boasted of it. For Paul, the apostle, it would be a significant theme in his understanding of the Christ. As in Romans chapter 1 when he said Christ who was descended from David according to the flesh what a staggering announcement for a little 14 to 16 year old girl who was a virgin to take furthermore her marriage was not yet consummated we know that from the text and the penalty for sexual infidelity by a betrothed woman was death You know, when God does big things in redemptive history, all kinds of things like fireworks go off. And they were going off now. And if the identity of her son were not enough to astonish her, the fact itself was barely comprehensible for her. I have a lot of things in my life I can't comprehend. I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give us white milk. I don't understand. I don't understand how electricity works you can explain it to me every day all I know is when you plug it in it works I don't know what it is I use it I see it see the effects of it I don't know what it is I do not understand why my telephone will sometimes not work sometimes I'm riding around different parts of town and I'm listening to music it goes dead and it 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 says it's out of range or something I don't know what's going on uh I don't understand how that works either And Mary certainly did not understand what had just been spoken to her it was beyond her ability to conceive of what was going on she was a virgin and the conception was physically impossible for her Mary's questions demonstrate this look at them she said how can this be since I don't even know a man and to know a man means to have a physical relationship with a man a sexual relationship her question, though, plays a vital theological role, for it accents the fact that she is still a virgin. People in the first century, Israel, were no more gullible or credulous than people are today. They admit may have been even less so. One of the three main religious groups at that time, the Sadducees, were anti-supernaturalist and rationalists who opposed the idea of resurrection and angels and the spiritual. For them, the very idea that the angel Gabriel had visited Nazareth was in the realm of fairy tales to say nothing about the details of the message. So Mary was not taken in. She questioned the angel. However, it was not a question stemming from skepticism. Her faith is evident, even in verse 38. For it was the question of one who believed, but needed to understand. How can these things be? She did not grasp the meaning. They did not suggest any resolve to remain a virgin. There is no textual support for the claim of the perpetual virginity, a position from which Roman Catholic scholars and exegetes are increasingly retreating. Gabriel explained his comment was poetic, presented in parallelism. He said this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, this is deep mystery. And it would be because it's something God is doing and we are not God. It is the infinite trying to be grasped by the finite. It is the holy trying to be grasped by the sinner. And so the imminent pregnancy would be due to To the Holy Spirit. And the language used here. Is very carefully chosen. Because it reminds us. Of the Spirit of God. That was hovering over the face of the waters of creation. Like a mother hen. Or a mother bird. Over her nest. The Spirit is overshadowing Mary. And would bring about a new creation. A new creative act. On the part of God. The start of a new humanity. Of which the child would be the head. A new creation that would stand and flourish for eternity. That tells me that the virginal conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary stands as miraculous as creation ex nihilo. That is creation out of nothing. When God spoke and said let there be light and there was light. When the earth was without form and void, the word of the Lord goes forth. And when Mary conceived in her womb, it was the Holy Spirit of God in all of his mystery hovering over her womb. Bringing about life. All God would ever have to do is speak a word. And it would happen. There is, in Christian theology... No one who believes the Spirit of God in any way engaged with her in any kind of sexual practice. That is anathema. But rather, the Spirit overshadowed her. And this was the decisive point in the history of redemption and in history as a whole. It is a very decisive moment. As with the original creation and all the direct mighty acts of God, no one was there to observe what was going on other than Mary. No one was there to observe the mechanics of it, to see what occurred at the instant it happened. It is a mystery known only by divine revelation. To reinforce this, we know that parthenogenesis, that is virgin conception, can only produce a female since, without a participation of a male, the Y chromosome is missing. This required a supervening action of God to create what otherwise would have been absent. And this is important to your salvation. If that's not true, we have no Savior. I mean, that's how critical this is and uh, how specific this is. The consequence of the Holy Spirit's sovereign creative action was that the child to whom Mary would give birth would be called the Holy Son of God. There are several possible word orders here in the original, but the stress falls on the last words, huias theu, that is, Son of God. In his humanity, Jesus would be the Son of God. Israel had been called God's Son. The Davidic King was the embodiment of sonship, and Israel was anticipating This to be developed by David's later greater son. Since Luke has already described Jesus as the son of the most high. Against the background of Isaiah 9 where the son born is the mighty God. An attribution of deity to the child can hardly be excluded. The church is recognized throughout the ages in calling Mary theotokos. God bearer. Overall, Jesus' divine sonship follows from the miraculous divine conception due to the work of the Spirit. It is this that would fit him for the throne of David. However, other descriptions of the child Jesus are present here. He was a child. He had a mother. He was human. He was holy. He was set apart for God in his call and his purposes, entailed in separation from sin Is what holiness means in Matthew's account Jesus is to save his people from their sins and in order to do that he must be free from the entanglements that sin would bring so Gabriel goes out of his way to reassure Mary that this was to be her future first there was Elizabeth's remarkable pregnancy both Zacharias and Elizabeth were advanced in years Zechariah affirmed this to the angel calling himself a Presbyterian. He didn't say I'm a Presbyterian, he just said I'm an old man. Which is by the way what Presbyter means, elder, older. And that's what he said, I'm an old man and Elizabeth was barren. A term of reproach for women and when the child was eventually born a great celebration was held. Yet into this situation the power of God flooded with overwhelming force. Gabriel's news was already foreshadowed second the angel pointed to the invincible power of the Word of God no word from God is powerless he always accomplishes what he says he will do and with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters God said let there be light there was light he spoke it was done for Mary, what is in human terms a total impossibility to conceive a male child without the participation of a male could be affected by the Word of God in an instant, a microsecond. Luke points to the Spirit and the Word of God working together inseparably, separably, powerfully, effectively, and effortlessly. Leslie. For Mary... This was to be an extreme difficulty. Her immediate future was problematic. Besides the obvious changes that come with pregnancy, there were the resulting social problems that she had to deal with. The comments, the gossip that would would reverberate for years. The resulting suspicions were raised against Jesus by some of his opponents. Yet Mary's reply was always one of faith. Let it be to me according to your word. Echoing David's response concerning the promises regarding his dynasty. I almost said dynasty because I've been watching too much British television. (laughs) Dynasty. Uh, Maybe they're right. I don't know. I don't care really. Faith. (laughs) Mary believed God's word. She submitted to it and she followed it. Faith is a matter of denying oneself. It's a matter of taking up one's cross and following Jesus. Far from being a co-redemptrix, Mary is a pattern of saving faith. The whole scene portrays the relationship between the regenerating work of spirit and the consequent response of faith additionally a virginal conception stands at the start of the gospels with the resurrection as the climax like bookends framing the whole pointing to the mighty acts of god constituting and establishing the drama of salvation now is this conception mentioned anywhere else in the rest of the new testament well, in marks gospel he describes jesus as the son of mary not the son of joseph which would be unusual paul Does so in Galatians chapter 4. Where he speaks of the birth of Jesus. When the time had fully come. Jesus was born of a woman. But what is the significance of the virginal conception? Why does it matter? And why does it matter so much? There are several factors. And depending on how bored you look. I will do. (laughs) I will do them all. (laughs) No you don't look bored. But I know this is heavy. But by golly, we need to learn stuff like this. We need to know stuff like this. We don't need to walk around empty-headed regarding the virginal conception. Jesus was born, no doubt, of the Virgin Mary in the way birth happens in anyone else. He gestated in the womb. He grew to the point of nine months. She had labor and delivered him like every other baby in the universe. But he was conceived not by an earthly father, but by the Holy Spirit. There are a normal gestation and birth, but also dimensions beyond our knowledge and act of God as creator. Biological explanations only produce biological results. The virginal conception comes in the context of the incarnation. And is seen to be in connection with the resurrection, both events. Enclose the events recorded in the gospel pointing to the sovereign, creative power of God. Christ's birth is not something under human power. It is the union of God and man achieved entirely by God, which is a judgment upon us. Because what the virginal conception says is there's no way we could come up with a way to save ourselves. We had to be saved by divine intervention. God had to come. God had to take the initiative. God had to, uh, as it were, create in the womb of Mary the human nature of Jesus Christ. And so, Christ's birth displays his true humanity. He was born of a human mother There was a group in the first century called the docetists. It comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. That Jesus only seemed or appeared human, but he really wasn't human. But according to this text, he was human. It indicates the human capacity is disqualified and that salvation is from the Lord. The initiative belongs to God. She is a picture and pattern of God's grace in regeneration and faith. And the virginal conception is a new creation, a renovation of the old. As the original creation and the resurrection, we understand by the Holy Spirit in faith, not by a process of human logic and argumentation, even though it can be logically defended. The virginal conception teaches us at a certain moment in time, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, becomes flesh incarnate so the human nature he assumes at the virginal conception he assumes into his person Jesus is one person with two natures human and divine but he's one person not two people and of course all this happens at one and the same time according to the accounts of the incarnation. There is no time lapse between the generation of the human body in the womb of the Virgin by the Holy Spirit, the creation and attachment and integration of the soul to the body, and the assumption of personalization of this complete human nature, body and soul composite, by the Word of God. All these events take place simultaneously at the virginal conception. If there were any delay between these different moments, the virginal conception and incarnation, the result would suggest something other than an orthodox account of the incarnation. So, one other thing I would add is the whole issue about Christ being sinless. Now, some have argued over the years if Christ were born of two Human parents, it is very difficult to conceive of how he would have been exempted from the guilt of Adam's sin, which all of us share in, and become a new head to the human race. And it would seem only an arbitrary act of God that Jesus could be born without a sinful nature. Yet Jesus' sinlessness as the new head of the human race and as the atoning Lamb of God is absolutely essential to our salvation. And so I believe that the sinlessness of Jesus is not so much the absence of a human father, but he is preserved in absolute holiness and purity in his human nature because the holy spirit overshadowed the womb of the virgin mary i think other ways of looking at that ends up in a place you don't want to be i think the virginal conception by the holy spirit ensures the absolute sinlessness of the lord of glory who unless he was we're all still in our sins we might as well go do what everybody else is doing who isn't here (laughs) But He is the Son of God. He is the one who is able to save. The birth of Christ, in which the initiative and power are all of God, is an apt picture of God's saving grace in general of which it is a part. It teaches us that salvation is always by God's act and never by our human effort. The birth of Jesus, like our new birth, which is also by the Holy Spirit, is a new creation is the virgin birth necessary is belief in the virgin birth necessary is it possible to be saved without believing it well we all know that saved people aren't perfect people but to reject the virgin birth or the virginal conception is to reject god's word and disobedience is always serious Further, disbelief in the virgin birth may lead to compromise in other areas of doctrine to which it is vitally connected. And so, in closing, I I laughed at myself this week. I laugh at myself a lot, but I laughed at myself really hard this week because I set out to study this aggressively. I probably read up to 400 pages of material written on this particular topic, and I read it a lot. And then I said, well, I wonder what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about this. I've had this happen to me a thousand times. I will work myself to the bone, open up the confession, and it says it better than I ever could. And I go, why don't you just start with the Westminster... (laughs) Here's what it says. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof yet without sin being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance and so in conclusion without ceasing to be all that he was and is as the second person of the Holy Trinity the eternal son of God took into union with himself in the one divine person that which he had never possessed before. Even a full complex of human attributes and became fully and truly man for us men and for our salvation. Jesus of Nazareth was and is the God man. That is why his work on our behalf as a substitute upon his cross effectively and completely atones for the sins of all who will believe and because he is the God man he's able to represent us because he is God what he does is limitless in what it achieves for his people with that said let's bow our heads and pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matthew and Luke and their careful recording in their Gospels of the virginal conception of Jesus and that in that out-of-the-way place in a nowhere village in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East, a little mid-eastern infant was mothered by a teenage girl who had never been with a man Born dirt poor from a small and obscure hick town called Nazareth. We're so thankful that once we look into what your word says and understand it. That is amazing. It is miraculous. It is a mystery. And we bow down before you in awe and worship. And we give glory to the triune God whose involvement in this uh, secures for us the truth of it. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as those who have seen the essential nature of the virginal conception of Jesus. And may we give as people who are grateful for the lengths you went to save people like us.